You're listening to a sermon from Oak Hill Fellowship Church, a local body of believers in Quarryville, PA. To learn more about Oak Hill, visit oakhillfellowship.com. Now grab a Bible and a notebook and prepare to be spiritually enriched by God's Word. You can open your Bibles to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, we're starting a new book study this week, and I'm looking forward to that. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat back in front of you, or if there's a row of red chairs, it's under the seat in front of you, and we would love for you to be have a copy of God's Word open in front of you, looking at it for yourself, making sure that, that you're, you're seeing, they, God said this, Pastor Ben didn't say this, God said this, okay? And so all that I'm here to do is explain what God said, okay? Got that? So if you don't have a Bible permanently, make that yours, so that you can keep going back to what God said. Opening your Bibles to 2 Timothy, and as you're, as you're turning there, I'm going to ask you a question. Um, who in the church is called to ministry? Who in the church is called to ministry? I think often we, we tend to think that, that those who are called to ministry are those special types of Christians like missionaries, pastors, maybe we'll throw elders in there, but, you know, that sometimes even that just seems like a, a, a perfunctory, like, you know, do they really need to be called or do we just have a need and we fill a hole, right? By the way, they need to be called. But we, we tend to think of those who are called to ministry in these special roles. Parachurch organizations might be another category that we think of those called into ministry, And yet, I would challenge us in that thinking today that biblically, every single believer in Jesus Christ is called to ministry. Let me prove that for you. Ephesians chapter 4 is up on the screen. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers... Those are the leaders of the church. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And so let me ask you, from this verse, who is called into ministry? Who? Everyone, the saints, the saints, specifically the saints, those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, who have been set apart for His holy purpose. Every single believer, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are called into ministry. And that's important because today we're starting a new series in 2 Timothy called Faithful and Focused. And our vision for this series is that the Lord would make us a church that is faithful and focused to fulfill the ministry to which He called us. That the Lord would make us faithful and focused to fulfill the ministry to which He called us. And so I want you to have the right thing in your mind when you hear that word, ministry. Ministry is is simply the service of every believer that fulfills Christ's purposes for his church. Should be down there in your notes. Ministry is simply the, the, the service of every believer that fulfills Christ's purposes for his church. 
And so if you are a follower of Jesus, you are called to serve in such a way that fulfills Christ's purposes for his church. Now that might look like a variety of different things, right? That might involve you uh, serving in one of the various ministry areas that we have here at Oak Hill. Uh, Maybe you serve on the the tech team or on the, the music team. Uh, may, maybe you serve on the welcome team and you're a greeter or you're a guide or, or, or uh, you're an usher. Uh, maybe, maybe you serve in our children's ministry as a helper or a teacher uh, or, or in our youth ministry as one of our youth leaders. Those, those are all kind of programmatic, structured ways that, that we can serve the purposes of the Lord's church. But even beyond that, uh, ministry can involve you sitting down over coffee with somebody from your gospel community, ministering God's word to them. It can involve you picking up the phone and, and calling someone and encouraging them in the faith and praying with them. That's also ministry. And we want to not just settle for a little bit of ministry, but, but to completely fulfill the purposes to which God has called us. We are called saints to ministry. And so, what is that for you? Get, get your ministry, the, the ministry to which God has called you right now in your head. How do you serve Christ church? And if you don't have any way that you serve Christ church, that's going to be a, a, a thing that we want to work on through this series, okay? But get that in your head. Because the whole theme of 2 Timothy is this idea of faithful focus to fulfill your ministry. That's what Paul writes to Timothy in chapter 4, verse 5. Fulfill your ministry. For for Timothy, that that was being a member of the Pauline team, equipping others to fulfill their ministry. So if Timothy was going to fulfill his ministry, everybody else had to be fulfilling theirs too, right? We see that in in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, when he says to Timothy, be strengthened by the grace of God. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to other faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so, Timothy, we know, was the kind of guy who would not let anything get in the way of that goal. And Paul is stirring that up in him in this letter. But a lot of things try to get in the way of that goal, don't they? Anything ever try to get in the way of the goal of ministry in your life? Serving Christ ever a little bit difficult? You have distractions. The, the crazy busy schedule. You think summer's going to let it up, and then all of a sudden it's like, no, summer's even more busy. Uh, temptations to sin or sin habits themselves. Feelings of, of burnout. But I, I think that the number one hindrance to ministry, we're going to see it in the text today, is a timidity or a fear of what God might call us to if we step out in serving Him. What if, what if serving the Lord costs me too much time, energy, resources, emotional capital? What if it costs me physical harm? 
what if, what if I, I just get in over my head and I find out I, didn't, I don't have what it takes and, and, and I'm missing something and I, 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 I don't know something or I, I don't have enough experience in some area? What if, what if the people I'm serving reject me? What if I fail? I believe Timothy was maybe facing some, some what-ifs of his own as he realized that his beloved mentor was nearing the impending execution of his life in a Roman prison. I think maybe there are some what-ifs in Timothy's life. I believe that Paul wrote this letter, especially these first seven verses, to embolden Timothy to the work to which God called him. He says, fan it into flame. And I believe that through this living and active word of God, God wants us to do the same thing in our hearts today, that we would be emboldened because God provides all you need for the ministry to which he has called you. Be emboldened. God provides all you need for the ministry to which he has called you. Look down in your Bibles at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that now that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-control. Be emboldened. God provides all you need for the ministry to which he calls you. Today we want to look at four ministry provisions for every believer to remember. You need these, believer. And the first is this. The first provision is a spiritual family. A spiritual family. So, so Paul opens the letter, uh, like most letters do uh, in, in that time, with his own name and who he is, identifying himself. And, and this is not just throwaway words, okay? I think a lot of times we, te- we, we think of these things as throwaway words and we just kind of rush right past it. But do you think Timothy needed to be reminded of who the Apostle Paul was? No, like, T- Timothy knows the Apostle Paul very, very well. And he knows that he is an Apostle. Paul doesn't need to tell him that, but in telling him that, he's doing something. He's reminding Timothy, Timothy, I have an important role in God's plan, and so do you. So do you. And he says that he is an apostle according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. He he is an apostle because Jesus is raised from the dead and raises dead sinners from the dead. You might remember the Apostle Paul was, was executing 
overseeing the executions of people who followed Jesus. But he, in that, was, was self-righteous and yet dead in his trespasses and sins. And then he saw the resurrected Lord, and it woke him up, and it immediately, not only did he become a believer, but the Lord placed a call upon his life. And after a, a period of about 10 years, where he was going through a lot of preparation, he was sitting in a, in a church in Antioch, much like this one. He was praying and worshiping together with the leaders. And, and the, the Lord said, I want you to set apart for me Saul and Barnabas to the work which I've called them. And so he went out on a, on a missionary journey. And, and that first missionary journey took him to a number of places. And the second to last place that he went was the city of Lystra. And in the city of Lystra, he would have encountered there a young boy named Timothy. Now, Paul had ministered quite a bit in the city of Lystra for a little while, and, uh, and then all of a sudden the Jews from Iconium uh, came and they were like, you know what, we don't like this Paul guy and we don't want you to like him either. And so they stirred up a crowd and they stoned Paul, and, and he was stoned so bad that they walked away thinking that he was dead. He had no life left in him. But by the power of the life of Jesus Christ, he stood up the next day, he got up, walked away, and went to the next town in the city of Derby, And he kept preaching the gospel. And, and then it says that there he, he established the believers in the faith, that he strengthened them. He told them that through many tribulations, the, they must enter the kingdom of God. And, and then he appointed elders, and then he went back to all the cities that he had visited before. He went back to Lystra, and he would have spent some time there. And he he appointed elders there. And he made sure that the church was healthy and thriving. And it's likely during this time that, that, his, that Timothy's grandmother, Lois, am I right about that? Yes, and his mother, Eunice, I always get them mixed up, would have probably come to know the Lord. And possibly even when Timothy would have come to know the Lord as well. We even learn about how Timothy would have would have observed his sufferings in Iconium and Lystra and Derby in chapter 3. Now, Paul left and he went back to Antioch and, and he, he started uh, giving a report on, on his missionary journey. But then he's like, all right, now it's time for me to go back out on another missionary journey, make sure that I, I equip the saints, that I, that I strengthen the churches that are there. And, and so what is one of the first things that he does? He goes to Lystra and he's like, I've heard that Timothy has become quite the leader. Now, there's something that you need to understand about Timothy. Acts 16.1 tells us that Timothy was, was a half-breed of sorts. His mother was a Jew. His father was a Greek. And so that meant a couple different things. One, uh, it probably means that his dad was not a believer, the way that he's described. Uh, that, that his mom was faithful and devoted. and it, it, His dad, you notice, was left out of the reading that I did earlier. It also means that Timothy would not have been very, looked upon very favorably in any of the cultures, right? Because Jews hated Romans and Romans hated Jews. But yet, somehow, Timothy is so gifted as a leader that he's known not only in his own town, but in the neighboring towns. And so Paul's like, uh, I want that guy on my team. And so he picks up Timothy, and the, and the brothers are like, yes, absolutely, with blessing. We even learn here that they, they, 
and at the end of 1 Timothy, that they laid hands on him and, and sent him out. And, but Paul's like, there's one catch. There's one catch to all this. Uh, I'm going to be talking to a lot of Jew- churches about how Jews and Gentiles need to be unified in the church. And so I need you to do something for me, Timothy. I need you to get circumcised. Talk about a high price of admission into Paul's uh, ministry apprenticeship, right? <laughs> like his pastoral residency doesn't, doesn't charge you money. It, it charges you physical pain. But Timothy did it. And that would start uh, this bond of love, this new familial relationship out of which a lot of ministry would happen in a lot of places. And Paul would tell the Philippian church that he has no one like Timothy. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul saying that about you? There's no one like him. I have no one like him on any of my teams. He would send Timothy to Thessalonica and to to Corinth and to Ephesus. and, And Timothy became a beloved child to the Apostle Paul. Ministry strengthened their family bond in Christ, and their family bond in Christ strengthened their ministry. And it would be impossible to overstate how important this relationship was to the advancement of the gospel, even to us singing and praising God for the gospel today. Understand when we're reading 2 Timothy, we are not reading a company briefing from a CEO who's retiring so that his successor can know the bottom line. We are reading a heartfelt letter from a spiritual father to a spiritual son. You hear how personal it was when we read it earlier? And this is so important because ministry is fueled by the family bonds of the local church. We say it a lot here, that the church is not just like a family, the church, what? Is a family. Yet, I think that sometimes that can be really misunderstood because Americans tend to think of family as something small, as something as me, my spouse, my kids, that's it, we're going to shut it off, we're going to protect it from the rest of the world, make sure that we have our security, get together, make nice nostalgic memories... And I hear people talk about how they love the the family feel of a church. Often they mean things, they they, they want things to stay small, self-contained, and comfortable, and controllable. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's a recipe for an ingrown church that exists for its own pleasure and its own security. And so let us be clear, when we say that the church is not just like a family, it is a family... It is so that more and more people can be added to the family. For Paul and Timothy, for for Timothy to be Paul's beloved child, it, it meant that he shared in the resurrection life of Christ with him, and he apprenticed under Paul in the family business of making disciples of all nations. In chapter 3, we're going to see that Paul and Timothy shared life together. Timothy had complete and all-access pass to the life of the Apostle Paul. And so for Timothy to be Paul's family, it it meant that he, he prioritized the same family values. He prioritized the same family legacy. The, the gospel of Jesus Christ 
that means everything to us. For Timothy to be Paul's beloved child, it it meant that he represented Paul everywhere he went because he shared the family name. And Paul could send him as a spokesperson to any church at any time because Timothy had rightly understood Paul's message and method. And that's what it means for the church to be a family. It means that we are all about the same work of making disciples. It means that we carry on the legacy of of faithful and focused gospel ministry, whether that's paid or unpaid. Whether that's elder, deacon, or ministry servant, it does not matter. We are called to building up the family of God. We are called to be a church family like we talked about a couple weeks ago. And, And that means that we represent the name of our Heavenly Father who dwells in our midst everywhere we go. And so we need to invest ourselves in these relationships, not just for the sake of the relationships themselves, but for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the glory of God our Father. The Lord calls us to serve Him, and as He calls us, He he gives us a church family with whom we get to do ministry. And so, so one of our goals for the series, I always try to lay out some goals for our series that align with our mission statement, which is proclaim Jesus, equip servants, send witnesses to the glory of God. And so one of our goals in that equip servants area in this series would be that we would, we would learn to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ toward focused faithfulness in the various ministries in which they serve Jesus Christ and his church. But ministry is hard. Ministry is, is taxing. We're, we're going to see that through the, the book of 2 Timothy. And we need the family bond that we have in the church to keep us going. And so leverage your relationships with God's family. Whether that's in your gospel community or or the people that you serve in ministry with. Leverage those things to encourage one another toward focused faithfulness in ministry. That's one of the ways that that the saints are equipped to serve Jesus. like Like our church mission statement says. It's through that mutual ministry of the body. Encourage one another. Pray for one another. Speak truth to one another in love. Build one another up. That is the work of the ministry, and it keeps the work of the ministry going. Our spiritual family is God's provision for the work of the ministry to which he's called us. But that's not all that he gives us. He also provides a sustaining gospel. A sustaining gospel. You see that in the second half of verse 2. Paul writes, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and, Jesus, and Christ Jesus our Lord. And so once again, blessing was a standard part of a, a letter in, in those days. But Paul is not just throwing away words here. He's capitalizing on these standard parts of a letter. He, he longs for Timothy to hold on to the grace and mercy and peace that are from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace are not once-and-done provisions of salvation. Like, okay, Jesus saved me from my sins, I'm, I'm converted, now i got all the grace, mercy, and peace that I have left, and i got to kind of run on, those, on, those, uh, you know, on that, gas of tank, that tank of gas until the end, and it just kind of keeps getting depleted, 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 depleted. 
That's not how salvation works. The gospel is an ever-sustaining grace upon our lives. An ever-sustaining replenishment of grace, peace, and mercy. His well, the well of the Lord, never runs dry. God consistently imparts new rations as we pour ourselves out in ministry. And so what are those rations? Let's not just run over these words because they're good Bible words and we just all know what they mean. No, let's like make sure that we know what they mean, huh? And so, so grace. Grace is the, the sustaining power that we have through our union with Christ and our access to the Father through the Spirit. Grace is God giving us Himself even though we don't deserve it. Not because we worked for it, not because we earned it, but because He is gracious. Mercy. Mercy then is that continual care of God for our physical and spiritual needs. He's he's withholding the judgment that we deserve for sin and, and, and He's offering the sustenance that we need to fulfill the ministry to which He's called us. He provides abundant mercy. And Paul is here praying for Timothy to experience that mercy in an ongoing, sustaining way. And then there's peace. And we often think of peace as this absence of conflict. Guess what? Paul is not saying, Timothy, I wish that you would have an absence of conflict in ministry. Because the rest of the book is going to show there's a whole lot of conflict in ministry. No, no. Paul is saying that I pray that you would have a wholeness of life that comes from a right relationship with God. That then will extend to the relationship that you have with others. That's what peace is. A wholeness of life that comes from a right relationship with God that extends to your relationship with others. And so notice that these three things flow directly from the presence of God Himself. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. The Christian life is not like running an errand for your boss. Do you ever have to go run an errand for your boss? One time I ticked my boss off and he sent me on like a, a two-hour errand because he's just like, I don't want to see you anymore, right? And so you go out and you do the errand and you come back and you say, look what I did. And I think a lot of us think of the Christian life like that. We, we think of it as God the boss giving us errands that we got to go run. And we think of ministry as this extra work that we got to go do. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is running errands with your dad. It's it's hopping in the car, him saying, hey, I got some work that I got to go do. You want to come along with me? The the Christian life is is him, him in the driver's seat and us along for the ride. The, The Christian life is we're in Lowe's and he's like, hey, do you want to carry this, this steak for me? Like, like my boys were doing for me the other day. Even though I could totally carry it myself. And if they need help, I'm going to be right there. That's the Christian life. The Christian life is sustained by the grace, mercy, and peace of God in His presence with us. 
And so any ministry effort that we produce must flow from the ministry that Christ has done and is doing for us. Another one of our goals for this series is that we would, we would focus on the clear connection between the Lord's faithfulness to His saving work through Jesus Christ and our faithfulness in the ministry to which He calls us. See, see part of our mission statement is that we would proclaim Jesus. And so if we ever get away from Jesus and the proclamation of Jesus and start just talking about ministry and all that we got to do, then we start running errands for the boss. Instead of going and running errands with our dad. And so we got to see that clear connection between the gospel, but between Christ's faithful work for us and our faithful work in him. You're going to see that many times throughout all of Paul's letters, but again in 2 Timothy, that, that, that the commands of Scripture, the imperatives of Scripture, are firmly rooted in what God has done, in the activity of God, the, the indicatives we call them. And so we've got to keep those things together. That is our motivation. Ministry can't just be another do thing. It has to flow from the grace of mercy, and peace that we encounter in the gospel. And so, so preach the gospel to yourself. Preach the gospel to one another and then believe it. Believe it with all your heart. Timothy's deep and abiding faith in the grace, mercy, and peace is where Paul goes next. Look at verse 3. He says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and now I am sure dwells in you as well. The third provision that God gives us for the ministry to which he's called us, is a sincere faith. A sincere faith. Notice that, that Paul remembers three things as he prays for Timothy. He, he says, I remember you, Timothy. Very personal. I remember you. I care about you. And as I remember you, I remember your tears. There's, there were some tears shed, and we'll talk about that in a minute. And, and, and as I remember you, and as I remember your tears, what that reveals to me is a sincere faith. I remember your sincere faith. That, that's what Paul loves so much about Timothy. That's what he's overjoyed to see Timothy for. Paul's saying here, Timothy, you're the real deal. I see your sincere faith. And so the first observation that we must make about sincere faith is that sincere faith is identified by other mature believers as they witness fr the fruit of your life. Side note, uh, did you notice that Paul mentions his ancestors? And it just seems like really out of place. Like, like I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors. Like, why did you throw that in there, Paul? Because we're going to find out in chapter 2 that, that Timothy's opponents like to argue about genealogies. They like to argue about their ancestral line and who was better. 
They like to flaunt their spiritual pedigree, especially to Timothy, who didn't have one. And so here's the Apostle Paul, the one who did have that kind of spiritual pedigree, according to Jewish customs, saying, I got no problem calling you, Timothy, my beloved child, because I have seen your sincerity of faith. That's all Timothy needed. He didn't need to worry about these argumentative people who didn't really understand the gospel. He just needed a sincere faith. And one of the ways that Paul saw that that sincere faith in Timothy was was through Timothy's tears. And all the men of Oak Hill were like, yes, we're in good company. Because we got some criers here, right? But the second observation that we can make about sincere faith is that sincere faith is demonstrated through genuine affection for God and his people. That's what's held up in in the tears of Timothy. We we don't know exactly why Timothy was crying. We we could allow our imaginations to run a little bit. Maybe maybe the tears were shed over over watching Paul leave for the last time. Maybe the tears were shed over ministry challenges or or ministry joys. But, But whatever it is, whenever we see this word for tears in the Scriptures, they seem to be associated with a genuine affection for God and His people i.e., sincerity of faith. Timothy really believed in who God was and what God had called him to do, and so therefore he really loved the Lord with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and he really loved his neighbor as himself. He cried over it. And Timothy came by that sincere faith, honestly. He watched it in the life of his mother and in his grandmother. Uh, Parents... Grandparents, never underestimate your model of sincere faith for the next generation. So that is part of, not all of, but part of the ministry to which God has called you. But the most important thing was that Timothy made this sincere faith his own. The third observation that we can make about sincere faith is that it, it can be observed in those who went before us, but it must be made our own. You can't borrow your mom or your dad's faith. You can't borrow your wife's faith. You can't borrow your mentor's faith. You need a sincere faith of your own. You need to turn from all of your sin and turn from all of your living for yourself and trust in the only God and Creator and Lord and Savior and Sustainer of the universe. You need to truly and fully believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin because you were headed to hell without Him and that He rose again for your salvation and that only in Him can you have true life because without Him you're dead in your trespasses and sins in which you walk. And it's when we have sincere faith in Jesus Christ, that we are fueled to walk in Him and to fulfill the good works to which He has called us. And God gives us that sincere faith. Ephesians 2, 8-10 through 10 says, He gives that faith to us by opening our eyes to the gospel. He shows us how incredible the work of Jesus Christ is because we were dead. We couldn't open our eyes. Dead people don't open their eyes. But God imparts that faith to us. It is his gift. It is his provision. And sincere faith will be the wellspring from which all faithful 
and focused ministry flows. Faithful and focused ministry is what is described elsewhere in the letter. And and sincere faith is the foundation of that here in chapter 1. And so can you look at your life and find a testimony of sincere, proven faith? Not just like, oh yeah, Jesus, I like him. He sounds like a nice guy. I believe in him, sure. The demons do that. Everybody in our culture does that. Not, not just like a, 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 you know, a little spark here, a little flame up here, and then, and then I just you know, go about my own way all the time. No, a sincerity of faith that has captured and gripped your heart and transformed you from the inside out. Can you look at your life and see that? Are you faithful to the Lord in your, your affections for Him, in your devotion to Him? Do you have a deep affection for God's people? If not, go back to the source of faith Himself. We can't stir that up in us. It has to be born of God. And so call out to God. Dig into His Word. See how worthy and beautiful He is. And then be stirred up in your sincerity of faith. You will not ever be faithful and focused if you do not first have a sincere faith. It has to start there. This whole sermon series will be frustrating to you if it doesn't start with sincere faith. Faith always leads to faithfulness. And that's because faith in Jesus Christ is what sets us apart from this world and gives us a place in Christ's family and gives us a job in Christ's kingdom. And so for every person who has come to faith in Jesus Christ, they have also been given a spiritual consecration. Look at verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So, so far, Timothy has been, Paul has been remembering a lot of things about Timothy. Now Paul wants Timothy to remember some things about Paul. And he, he specifically wants him to remember this laying on of hands moment. I'm using this word consecration. To describe that. Consecration simply means to be set apart for holy purposes. And that's what the laying on of hands symbolizes. But this is a a spiritual consecration. It's it's not merely a physical act of laying on of hands. It's a spiritual consecration because Paul tells Timothy to fan into flame the gift that is in him through the laying on of hands. And then he equates that to the gift of the Spirit. He gave us not a spirit of power, but of love and self-control. And so maybe you're like, wait a minute. I thought we teach here and believe that every, t- every believer receives a spiritual gift at the time of conversion. I thought, I thought every believer received the Holy Spirit when he was saved. And we do teach that. <laughs> and we do believe that. Every believer is set apart at the time of conversion for God's special purpose. God prepares good works before them, for them to do, before the very foundation of the earth. He's already prepared them. And he gives them supernatural motivation by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
But this gift in 1 Timothy 4, and in 2 Timothy 1, it's, it's talked about in both places, comes through the laying on of hands. It's, it's interesting, when it's mentioned in 1 Timothy 4.14, Paul talks about Timothy receiving this gift by the laying on of the elders' hands. So I don't know if these were two different occurrences or if, if he was highlighting the elders back there and, and his own direct contact here. But whatever it is, it seems like it's some sort of ministry gift. Some sort of extra calling, a special empowerment of the Holy Spirit for the unique work to which Timothy was called. And that is what was represented by the laying on of hands. The consecration for God's purposes is an internal work of the Holy Spirit that is externally recognized through the laying on of hands. Just like baptism, right? Baptism is the internal work of the Holy Spirit that is recognized through water baptism. And so we're talking about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit for ministry that Timothy is supposed to fan into flame. And that's true for every church leader, and it's true for every single believer. The only difference between the the leaders and the believers is just the types of gifts that were given in those moments. But spiritual gifts must be fanned into flame. So my, my family loves to have backyard campfires. Anybody love some backyard campfires? There's a burn ban that was lifted this week. I'm really excited to get my campfire out, right? And, and, and so we, we'll just sit around, and it's so easy when there's, when there's a campfire going, and you kind of you get it all up and nice and hot. It's so easy to get talking and, and to, to all of a sudden look down, and, and it, it's starting to, to wane a little bit. I mean, it's still burning. you still got flames, but you're like, that's puny. And so one of my favorite things to do is to grab something like this and just to fan the stink out of that fire because I love watching it just ignite again. And it's so, it's so instantaneous and it's so satisfying. But that's what Paul is calling Timothy to do. He's calling him to, to fan the flame. And the word here for fanning the flame means to keep on fanning it. It's in that tense. It's, it's to keep on fanning it. You, you, you can't let it go for too long before you've got to fan it again, before you've got to add more wood, but before you've got to add more oxygen. Keep on fanning the flame. And so, so the, the Scriptures talk about this in a variety of terms. They call it walking by the Spirit, call it being filled with the Holy Spirit, call it abiding in Christ. Whatever you call it, the more actively we rely upon the Spirit and yield to His desires in our lives, the more we will live a life that is set ablaze by the Spirit. And we fan the flame by prayer and worship and walking in community and allowing the Word of Christ to dwell in us richly. Oh, that we would be a church who continually stokes the fire of our connection to the Holy Spirit. That's what God wants for us. Not not that we would have just these little flames, not that we would have just these, these dying embers, but that we would keep burning Hot. So often, so often, we talk about burnout in ministry. And inevitably, you know, somebody will be serving in ministry for a long period of time, and they'll, they'll be like, "Ah, oh, man, I'm just feeling burnout. I gotta, I gotta take, a, I gotta quit. I gotta take a step back." 
believe the Apostle Paul is saying that the answer to burnout is not quitting. The answer to burnout is fanning the flame. And maybe there's a sense in which, yeah, you gotta you gotta get refocused and 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 get in tune with the Lord and, and your abiding habits and, and and all of those types of things. But but Paul does not say, you know what, just stop serving in order to get your flame back. <laughs> no, he says, fan the flame. Fan the flame by remembering your spiritual consecration. By remembering that you have been set apart for a holy purpose and the Holy Spirit that is in you is not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. The answer is not to quit. Quitting will cause the fire to go out. The answer is to keep on fanning the flame. But the number one thing that will keep us from doing that, look at it in the text, is fear. It's fear. Or some translations say timidity. The word means cowardice. Cowardice. Shrinking back. And so what are you afraid of when it comes to serving the Lord? What are you afraid of in ministry? I've already mentioned some potential fears at the beginning of the sermon that, that ministry might bring rejection. It might come with a high cost. It, it, I might fail. I might not be equip, feel equipped enough. But I want you to identify it for you. What, what is it for you? Maybe for you it is the fear of, of the suffering that you know the Bible says will come when you stick out your head in ministry. Maybe it's the fear of, of criticism or feeling like, like man, it is nitpick, nitpick, nitpick. I'm never good enough. I'm never good enough. It's a crippling fear. Maybe it's the fear of detractors who, like Timothy, they, they throw shade on you because of your age or your background or your personality type. Maybe for you, it, you're, you're fearful of the pain and disappointment comes, that comes when you, when you pour out your life into someone and they turn around and they bite you. Fear is real. All of those things that I just mentioned are real. I hold nothing back from you in telling you that this call to ministry is not an easy call. You should put your finger on those fears and you should identify those fears in your heart. But fear is not the product of the Spirit's work in our lives. And fear is not more real than the Spirit of God. Believer, you have a spirit of power and love and self-control. Power. He's not talking about domineering authority. He's not talking about the power that... that longs to be at the top and longs to be seen and, and longs to have the title and longs to, to have the authority over others. No, he's talking about the unsurpassed strength of God that is at our disposal as his children when we get into the trenches of serving in ministry. And that power is shaped and defined by love. 
That, that's how we're called to use the power of the Holy Spirit in ministry. Out of love for one another. And that requires another fruit of the Spirit. Self-control. Because there are going to be times in ministry when we want to act out of the flesh or we want to speak out of the flesh. We might want to rush ahead of God or, or lag behind what God is calling us to do. And we need to yield our desires to the Spirit's desires through constant prayer and dependence so that we would be fanned into right, proper flames of God. This verse has been so important to me ever since I became a pastor at the, at the young age of 29 years old. And we had had a pastor who was, well, he was here two weeks ago. I described him as tenacious. And I told you that I was not like him in those ways. And that's true because I can relate to Timothy so much. Especially in the word timidity, if it's translated timidity. Right? I, I, I can just be like, God, have you really called me to this? Do you really want me to do this? And, and that was just a constant feeling for five years straight at least. And that's not what the Lord wanted. And he doesn't want me to, in the flesh to turn over then and be like, okay, look at how great I am. No, he wanted me to, to dig deeper into the Spirit and abide in Christ and to fan the flame for the ministry to which God had called me. And thankfully, you all were gracious as a church. And I had a spiritual family around me. Thankfully, the Lord taught me some things about the, the gospel and its sustaining power. Thankfully, the Lord purified my faith in Him to make it more sincere. But ultimately, I had to go back and say, yeah, the Lord called me to this. And I still have to go back to that and say, the Lord called me to this. There are so many times, so many times where I'm like, did the Lord really call me to this? Fan the flame. Many ministry gifts for some to equip the saints, but spiritual gifts for all because all are called to do the work of the ministry. And believer, you are consecrated through faith in Jesus Christ and the indwelling empowerment of the Holy Spirit. You are consecrated to holy service, to ministry for God. So do you trust the work of the Spirit to work in you and through you as you step out in serving Him. Our last goal for the series is that, that each of us would be faithful and focused to serve in the ministries to which you are called. Genuinely asking the Lord if He would be calling you into a new ministry responsibility. So we are, we are called to be sent witnesses, right? That's part of our, our mission statement. And we talk about that in two ways. One is internal to the church, edifying the body. And one is and bearing witness to the power of the life of Christ in us, just like Paul was doing to Timothy. And the other is external, evangelizing the lost, right? And so both of those are part of what it means to be involved in ministry, to be building up the purposes of Jesus Christ in our church. This is how God is glorified. When his church is built up and the beauty of his gospel is put on display through the victory story of his people. And, and so, again, come back to that, that ministry that I had you identify at the beginning of the sermon. Where are you serving Christ's church? How, how are you 
getting involved in the lives of others? How are you ministering the word and and prayer? How are you relying on the Holy Spirit to, to make sure that we have a welcome here at church, to make sure that we love one another, to make sure that we are doing the work that God set before us? Fan the flame in that area of ministry. Be emboldened. But then maybe the Lord is calling you into a new work. And I would ask each of us to be praying. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to leave the old work to start the new work. That could get really dicey. But I want each of us to be praying. Lord, where are you calling me to serve you? To build up your church. And so this means that you might be, maybe you're serving in children's ministry as a helper. And you're just like, I am terrified at the thought of teaching. But the Lord would say, fan the flame. You need to to say, he has given me his word, he's given me the truth, and I'm going to impart that into three-year-olds who are not that scary. I know they kind of are. Maybe, Maybe you need to move from gospel community member to gospel community apprentice because you've been walking with the Lord for 20 years and the only thing holding you back from more of the Lord, experiencing more of the Lord, is not replicating yourself in others. Or maybe you need to move from apprentice to leader. This could be in any ministry area. We, we, we need apprentices in every ministry area that we have. We need elder apprentices as well. But recognize that, that along with those things come the character qualities of a deacon from 1 Timothy 3. You know, so be asking, am I de- being developed in those character qualities? Am I growing in those things? And, and, and fan the flame. Fan the flame. How do you grow in the character? You fan the flame. Maybe it's just getting into ministry in the first place for you. And there are so many places that you can begin practicing serving the Lord for the sake of fulfilling Christ's purposes for His church. And, and, and for some, that might mean actually that like you need to become a believer first. <laughs> maybe, maybe you need to get baptized Maybe you need to become a member because in the, being in the process of membership is, is, is required for most of our ministry areas because we want people who are committed to this church, committed to the cause. But whatever it is, whatever your next step is, identify it and then be emboldened to take it. Be emboldened to take it. Be, be emboldened because God provides all that you need for the ministry to which he's called you. He provides all that you need in giving you himself. You might have heard it said before that God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. And if this sounds terrifying to you, if everything that I just talked about is like, I'm not ready for that. Step out and experience the Lord And you will be. Because God gives everything you need. Let's pray right now. Thank you for listening to Oak Hill Fellowship Church. Stay connected with us by finding us on social media or by joining us Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Until then, remember that you are loved.